love you so much. Holy Spirit, I just I just feel in my heart, we are few, but we are mighty. Hallelujah. That's the remnant of your church, Lord, all over this earth. Thank you for saving us, preserving us in such a time as this. Holy Spirit, we ask you tonight to illuminate the living word, the words of life. Illuminate those words in our heart. Give us understanding of those things you would have us to know this evening. Fill us fresh with your spirit tonight as we hunger and thirst for more of you. We're so thankful as we celebrate the birth of Christ this season. We're just so thankful that he laid his life down for us. We were lost and perishing and without hope. Jesus came and gave himself. They didn't take his life. He gave his life, a ransom for all, that those who would believe upon his death, burial, and resurrection gave he the right to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so, Father, we just rejoice in this season as we thank you for the birth of Christ. We likewise thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. We thank you that we are one with you and that we are one together as a body of Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for that unity. We thank you for your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we've been talking about the blessing. I don't know about y'all, I've been learning a lot about the blessing. I love, that's one of the reasons why I like teaching, because I, I teach to myself and I learn as I study, you know, and, and we study stuff that we've, we've been going over. I mean, golly, how long, Sharon? <laughs> you know, we've been going over this for years and years, but the Word of God is inexhaustible, and God's always got something new. I don't care how many years you've studied it. There's something new in there for you. There's fresh manna. Hallelujah. And that's really what I've been getting out of this blessing. Learn so much. Uh, but tonight what we're going to start is hindrances to the blessing. How many of you know that there's things that can hinder the blessing of God in our life? And really tonight, the whole evening, this is just part one of the hindrances. We'll have at least a part two, maybe a part three because there's a lot of things that can hinder us. But tonight is solely going to be focused on the religious spirit. As a matter of fact, that's, let's just, just fill in. the. Well, it's not, we don't even fill in. Number one, let's just, if you're ready, Bev, let's go to that scripture. The, the religious spirit is the number one hindrance to moving into the blessing. And the reason why I, I chose this, and it's because it is such a wide variety. And if you're taking notes, I know the Bible doesn't really say religious spirit, so let's, we could also say, biblically speaking, uh, deceiving spirits. Religious spirits are deceiving spirits, and the Bible does have a lot to say about deceiving spirits. But uh, the reason why I wanted to spend all night on this is because we as believers, we're not, you know, running around like heathens trying, trying you know, trying, running away from God. I mean, we're hungry. The people, there's a lot of people, what I'm trying to say is they're hungry for God and they want to know God, but they're infected with the religious spirit and don't even know it. And that fervency, the devil can even take a fervent desire to know God and mess it all up. And here's the thing, if I was going to say one thing tonight, now, many of y'all in this room sat through the whole teaching of the living through in the Laodicean age when we went through that. And that's what that whole book is about. The Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, is the reason why they're in that condition is because of religious spirits, deceiving spirits. But here's what I want to say about the difference between the two. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be truly saved and still fall into a religious spirit. But here's the real bad thing. If you get introduced to the religious spirit, 
early on or at your conversion. If you come to Christ and the religious spirit is there kind of, then you're in big trouble because you're going to be sitting under that religious spirit the whole time. You know, in other words, if someone with a religious spirit prayed that prayer of salvation with that person and they think they're moving into Christ, they could be totally deceived. And they'll end up following doctrines of demons eventually. But by that time, by the time, the thing about deception is you just, you don't know you're deceived. And it, it's very, 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 the hardest people to reach are religious people. They're the hardest people to reach. And the church is full of religious people. Religious people aren't out in the world. Atheists and unbelievers and pagans are out in the world. The, all the religious people are in churches. And they are the hardest to reach because they think they're okay. They think they're doing things right. So let's just start by looking at this first scripture. Jesus said, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, this is a funny scripture. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jeff. Because the disciples show up and they forgot to bring bread. You know the story. And he says this. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, is he mad because we forgot to bring bread? <laughs> and, you know, if y'all, you know, John, you and, uh, you and uh, <laughs> Jeff has made it to some of the Ignite the Fires. We talked about this, though, in layers of Scripture. Here's a prime example. They're taking Jesus literally when he's trying to get a spiritual lesson across. We, we can't just take everything literal in the Bible. A lot of it is spiritual lessons spoken spiritually, symbolically, parabolically. But uh, the, he, but notice he says of the Pharisee, and you know, I've heard some preachers call this religious spirit the spirit of Pharisee or Phariseeism. So uh, let's just look at number two and fill in some blanks. Manifestations of the religious spirit may be seen in believers who are judgmental or critical towards others. Manifestations of the religious spirit may be seen in believers who are judgmental or critical towards others. Now, I did not give Bev this scripture. I don't know if she can get to it in time. I'm already there in my Bible. Luke 18 if you're taking notes, write this down. Luke 18, verses 10, or 9 through 14. Verses 9 through 14. I'm going to read this to you. This is a very familiar story. Jesus uh, also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Now, this is it, that they were righteous and they despised others. That's what the religious spirit will do. It's a self-righteousness. You've got a lot of folks today, even in our government, trying to work righteousness apart from God. And it's a fallacy. You cannot work righteousness apart from God. That's what the religious spirit will do. Oh, it sounds like the right thing. It sounds good. It sounds right. It sounds like love, but it's not the word. You know, with all this trans stuff going on and all this sexual deviancy uh, permeating our society. The idea behind accepting this and normalizing this is love and acceptance. That's a lie from the pit of hell, right? I mean, we need to love the people, but they need to hear the truth. And, uh, man, that's what the religious spirit does. So he says, this, he's speaking this to Pharisees, he said, who trusted in their own righteousness. And he says, two men went up to the temple... Hallelujah. To pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. <laughs> Notice he's praying with himself. He thinks he's praying to God. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Well, they, let's stop right there. Yes, you are. We're all in the same boat. We... we that we may be at various levels and degrees of understanding what the scriptures have to say, but we're coming from the same place. 
a sinful nature, a fallen nature. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. You know, and let me just stop there again. Extortioners, murderers, throw in whatever word you want to. Yeah, you are. You're just like them. Just like them. You, you take this word that's been planted in your heart, and if God were to pluck it out of your heart right now, I give you a week and you'd be capable of any sin listed in this book. We're all capable. We're, we're just one sin away from going to hell. I mean, without Christ. Christ is the only thing that stops us from going to hell. So he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, and especially not like this tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week, verse 12. I give tithes to all that I possess. Verse 13, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as to raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful, Lord. And listen to this. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, and I was thinking this Pharisee is in for some humbling. But you know, to tell you the honest God's truth, and this is what that whole book, Living in the Laodicean Age, is about, uh, he may not be. I mean, I'm sure the only reason why you're going to get humbled by God is because you belong to him. That's what chastening means. I mean, we're chastened because we belong to him. But if we really don't belong to him, guess what? We're, we're not his sons. I don't know about you, but I didn't when I had children... I didn't go around punishing other people's children. <laughs> I punished my own children and set them, made sure they were on the right track. And that's what God does. So maybe this Pharisee's in for some humbling, but, you know, more than likely he probably doesn't even belong to God. Therefore, he doesn't understand tests and trials. Well, the tests and trials and adversity will still come his way, designed to hopefully cause him to turn to God. But if we don't recognize these things... Man, we're lost and without hope. But it's just so mind-boggling that this guy thinks that he's okay with God. And he, he places himself, he looks down his nose at other people. And that's what a religious spirit will do. Uh, you can get to study in the Word, and uh, I've, I've talked about this lately. You've got to be careful. Even your knowledge of this Word can cause you to be puffed up and cause you to miss it. God wants us to have a knowledge of the word, but when it comes right down to it, like I said last time, I can misinterpret this word. I can get it wrong. I don't expect anybody in here or anybody listening on podcasts to ever just take my word for anything. Study. Study to show yourselves approved. Uh, Study to make sure the preachers and the teachers are preaching the truth. Pray about it. Pray over it, because we're all in the same boat. Hallelujah. Okay. Number three. The religious spirit will always manifest as religious hypocrisy. See, when we're ate up with a religious spirit, sooner or later, you're going to fall in to religious hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus called these Pharisees hypocrites time and time again. Uh, Are we ready for our scripture in Luke 12? Christ warns about hypocrisy here. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, there's that word again, which is hypocrisy. The the leaven, the false doctrine of the the Pharisees. See, because what did the Pharisees teach? They were looking down their noses at it. I tithe, I thank you, I'm not like other people. I tithe, I I say my prayers religiously. I 
I go to church in the synagogues. I'm there every, every Sabbath. I'm, I'm so glad, Lord, I'm not like these sinners here. But let's go to our next scripture and look at what Jesus says. Backing it up a little bit to 1139. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. You know, they, they had come up to him. They saw him and eating. They didn't wash their hands first, which was a ceremonial law. Oh, you, you're, you're unclean. How do you do? Why do you do that? You claim to be a rabbi and you don't even wash before you eat? And he tells them, you guys, you make sure everything, your hands are clean and your flesh is all washed up and you look good and you smell good, but the inside you're rotten. Rotten to the core. You're hypocrites. Let's go to our next scripture, verse 42. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he's saying there's nothing wrong with tithing. This is good. There's nothing wrong with observing the law. This is good. But you can't do it from a perspective of you're looking down on others in a condescending way because you're placing yourself above them. No, we're all, when we put ourselves in the same boat as the lowest sinner, we're doing something right. And that's, that's how you're going to reach somebody who's in the lowest level of the, the pits of hell. You're not going to reach them by placing yourself way up here on a pinnacle. They're going to sense that, and that's going to drive people away. We've got, to, we've got to take it from the perspective we're all in the same boat. We all come from the same stock. Yes, I've been studying for 30 years. Yes, I go to church all the time, but you know what? That doesn't, without Christ, it doesn't mean anything. He's the one who's changing my heart. He's the one doing all the work. All glory goes to him. Without him, I'd be just like anybody unchanged is what I mean. I'd be unchanged, just like people who have not been changed. Hallelujah. So, the, the, the religious spirit always turns into hypocrisy because why? Because we're all in the same boat. And the religious spirit tries to elevate himself above others by observing ceremonial law and ritual and whatnot. Let's look at number four here. Because the religious spirit is self-righteous, the carrier of such a spirit is spiritually blind and therefore is likely to justify sin rather than repent of it. I'll go through that again because I know it's a lot of blanks. Because the religious spirit is self-righteous, the carrier of such a spirit is spiritually blind. That's what self-righteousness does. It blinds us to the truth. It's only through Christ's righteousness that we can get revelation of truth from a self-revelating God. You know, if God didn't, was not a self-revelating God, there'd be no hope for us to know him. It, it, it's by faith and hunger and reaching out towards him and his desire to let us know who he is, to show us his nature. But that the, the, person, the carrier of such a spirit is spiritually blind and therefore he is likely to justify sin rather than repent of it. Um, let's go to that scripture looking at this instance with Saul. King Saul is a prime example of a self-righteous man who misses God over and over, thinking he's okay because he was anointed king. You know, that's not much different from thinking we're okay because we prayed a prayer of salvation. We, we went through this motion or did that or so-and-so said, if I do this, I'll be... None of that's sufficient. And this is where Saul is ultimately rejected as the king. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. See, 
uh, before you don't go yet, Bev, uh, the person who's plugged into God, we talked about this. If you want to walk in the blessing, you've got to obey. Even though it's by faith that we enter the blessing, unlike the Old Testament, it was only by observing the law and obeying the law. In the New Covenant, it's by faith. But faith does not nullify obedience, right? But when you're not plugged, this is a good example of not being plugged into God. How can I know for sure? Because deception is so subtle. Well, are you obeying the commandments because you love him? Not obeying because you feel like you got to, got to, you're obligated to, or not because you expect to be blessed even. No, because you just love him. And he said it, that settles it, I'm going to do my best to do it. I don't care if I don't get rewarded for it until I get to heaven. doesn't matter to me. Whatever he seems right in his eyes. We kind of went through this in our lesson with Job. We've really all got to reach that place where, where Job got to. But see, he has not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night long. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. <laughs> Here's another red flag. When you're exalting self, and he has gone on around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you in the, in the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. <laughs> ah, really? But Samuel said, Then what is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the following of the oxen which I hear. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Notice it's the people. He's the king. And the best of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Notice it's, it's Samuel's God. And, and the rest... We have utterly destroyed. So partial obedience, he's saying. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I like that. He's talking to a king here. We could probably better translate that. Oh, shut up, you buffoon. And I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're all consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. See that deception in there? In his mind, he was obedient. Even though in his heart, he knew he halfway. Half-hearted obedience is not obedience. Half-hearted obedience will keep you out of the blessing. I've gone on, okay, he says, I obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took, here he is again, blaming the people. The people took of the plunder, sheep and auction, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, sacrificed to the Lord, God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, now this is the powerful. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, listen, and do more than the fat of rams. Wow. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. 
and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. This is interesting. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Wow. You know, witches are constantly conjuring up potions and closely related to pharmacia in this process of conjuring. They use herbs and, and spices and things and incantations to drum up demons. And that's rebellion. And I love this stubbornness, just being stiff-necked, slow to obey, is sinful, and it leads to idolatry. When, when we're half-heartedly obeying God, guess what? We're going to end up worshiping another God. Because God doesn't take half-hearted obedience. You may be sacrificing, I give tithe and mint and rue. Remember that Pharisee? I give, the, I do, I... I'm, but what did Jesus say in Matthew 7? Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we done all these things? I never knew you. Sacrifice is only good when we're motivated from the right heart to offer up sacrifice. Especially we have to be careful in the New Testament. This is, te- this is for the Old Testament, this is true. But it's even more careful in the New Testament. Why is that, Brother Terry? Because Jesus already offered up the perfect sacrifice. Now there's only, the only sacrifice for you and I to offer is the sacrifice of praise. What is the sacrifice of praise? It's praising God when we don't feel like it. Giving him his place of due honor, even though it may not look good, we may not feel good. It's offering up that sacrifice. There's, there's a few, very few passages in the New Testament that are, are, are said to be acceptable sacrifices. One is that. Another one is doing good for the right reasons. Again, motivation of heart is everything, but doing good, it says in Hebrews, is also an acceptable sacrifice. But the best one in, in Romans is putting our bodies on the altar. Say, here I am. Slay me, Lord. I'm yours. Do what? I'm dead. You raised me to life, and you caused me to do whatever you'd have me to do. Because Jesus has already paid the sacrifice. Jesus is the only pure and holy sacrifice. You know, this is one of the reasons why I have a big problem with all this hoopla about the red heifer and the third temple and all this. I'm I'm telling you, I'm not so sure that... that, uh, I don't understand it. I'm still studying this. I don't understand this, that this third temple is going to be built in Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe not. It could be a symbolic temple. I know this much. The Bible says over and over. Now, this is the temple. This is the temple. And if you don't think an abomination of desolation can take place in here, you're dead wrong. These spirits, these religious spirits will come in and try to exalt themselves and even blaspheme God in the process and receive worship in our own temple. But the thing that gets me about this third temple supposedly being a literal temple, because I'm not, like I said, I'm not so sure it's not a spiritual, this is not a case of taking something literal when we should have taken it spiritual, like we so often see. Uh, but they're going to offer up this red heifer. What a slap in the face to Jesus. What do they think? A red heifer's blood is going to do. I mean, there's no answer for that. It's idolatry. It's an insult to the blood of Jesus that's been shed once for all. You know, there's this big, all this confusion about, well, are the Jews, you know, Jews are God's people. Are Are they going to go to hell? An Orthodox Jew? They don't believe in Jesus. I don't care what your heritage is. If you don't believe in Jesus, it says right here in this Bible, there's no other name by which men might be saved. It says right here that Jesus is the only way. No one comes to the Father 
except through him. Not Judaism, not offering up a red heifer, not by being a Jew. The Bible says now there is no Jew or Greek. We're all one now. So you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to say that, I'm not trying to kill your theology here, but I'm just saying let's think about this stuff. This could be another instance where people are taking a scripture literally when we really need to be looking at the spiritual end of it because these end days, we could be facing some inward battles in here that are very tricky and designed to get us tripped up and receiving wrong marks. I'm just saying. All right. The Bible has a lot to say about being marked. It's got even more to say about being marked by God. We know that that the, the Antichrist is going to try to get everybody to receive a mark. Which again, here's another here's another instance where we may be taking something literal that we need to be taken spiritually. Maybe this mark isn't going to be a visible thing that man can see. The mark that's talked about over and over in the scriptures when God says, hang on, hang on, don't do this destruction yet. So I mark my servants. Man can't see that. It's designed for the spirits who come to reap destruction. They'll see it. They'll see it, and they will leave you alone. I'm just saying. We, you, we really need to study this stuff out and prayerfully approach it. I'm not saying it's wrong. Please, don't, don't say, well, Brother Terry's... No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I've come to a place where I'm thinking, I'm contemplating these things. Because so many times here, the past year where I'm reading Scripture, I come across these Scriptures where Jesus says something and the disciples take him literally and he goes, he's shaking his head. Do you not get it yet? I'm not saying literally leaven here. This is a symbol. This is a spiritual thing. So, let's move on. But you see, it, it, it's... When you get to that place with the religious spirit, and then that's why they're so hard to reach. Because when someone in love points out the sin and the problem, they get offended, which is a stumbling block that Jesus talked about. And they just, rather than repent and listen to the man of God or the woman of God correcting them in a loving way, they justify their sin and call you the heathen. And they won't repent. Because they're justifying their belief in their way. I hate the devil. Number five. The religious spirit is easily offended. We kind of led up to that in this last one. He's easily offended. Does anybody remember the Greek word for offense? And what it means, it is, the Greek word is scandalon. And scandalon, in the Greek, a scandalon was, it, it means bait stick. Like if we were to set a mouse trap, it's that stick that you put the cheese on. And so what happens is when the man of God or the woman of God comes to you and tries to point out what the scriptures say about this situation, and this person who is deceived gets offended, boom, they just fell into the snare or the trap of the devil. He's got you now. You've gotten offended at the word of God. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are those who don't get offended because of me. Blessed are those who don't get offended. But they've got an open mind. They want to search the scriptures. They want to pray daily that they get it right. They want to be like the the Bereans and search the scriptures constantly to see if those things are so. Because I guarantee you and I and all of us in there, we're still learning. God's still showing me a lot of things. I've been, I'm telling you what, I'm reading the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation. I'm reading all the prophetic books like a madman. And it's been a couple of years now. And it's been a slow process, but I believe the Lord's showing me some things. And, uh, man, we, we, we're constantly in a learning mode, Hopefully. And if we're hungry like that, God will start showing us things little by little as we can handle it. If he showed us everything, we couldn't handle it. It'd be overload. (laughs) 
Yeah, my head would just explode. <laughs> but see, he, he, that's why he gets offended, because he's, he's, hypocris- he's full of hypocrisy. He justifies his sin because he's offended. He doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. doesn't want to humble himself. He's proud. All these things come into it. That's why it's so important. We've got to be humble, got to be meek. All these qualities need to be burnt into us through tests and trials. God will make sure you get them if you're praying it. Again, praying that Psalm 139 prayer. I'm, 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 I'm about to believe that 90% of, of professing believers don't have a clue because they don't pray that. They don't understand tests. They don't, they don't ask God to burn this stuff out of them. And that's a scary thing, but it's necessary. That's the only way it's going to come out. God can't just show it to you by revelation. You've got to live it. It's kind of like getting a college education and then going out into the workforce. But the guy who's already been there 30 years, he may have been a high school dropout. He can work circles around you and show you stuff. I don't care if you just had a degree or not. He's going to show you things that he could take you to school on this thing because he's living it. He's working it every day. It's experiential knowledge. Epignosis, not just knowledge, but experiential knowledge. So, Luke, no, I'm sorry, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 12. Y'all are familiar with this. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. This is the guys who get offended here. Who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he sent out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever's right, I'll give you. So they went. Again... He went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing around here idle all day? I love it. And they said to him, Because no one's come to hire us. And he said to them, Well, go on out to the vineyard and whatever's right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last first. So these are the guys. He's going to start with the guys that just came in right before dark. And when those who came were hired about the 11th hour, each received a denarius. (laughs) Let's go to the next one. But when the first, uh, uh, okay, verse 11. Oh, is this one? I'm oh, sorry. Let's go back again. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and likewise received a denarius, verse 11. And when they had received it, they complained. Here's a religious spirit manifestation right here. They complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us. Who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. Now, his, uh, okay, so, yeah, wow. You've made them equal with us. What a lesson to learn, right? A little bit of humility would have gone good here. Did they agree to a denarius a day? You know, when we get saved, we all have to agree to the same thing. I believe that Jesus took my punishment. I couldn't, I couldn't do this on my own. He paid the price. And he told me, it is going to cost you something, your life. That your life is worth about a denarius, which is a day's wages. That's what your life is worth. But it costs everybody their life. You cannot be my disciple, Jesus said, if you don't. Love me more than mom and dad and brother and sister and family. No, you got to lay down. He who, who loses his life for my sake shall gain it. But he who keeps his life or finds his life will lose it. Who saves his own life. So that's the price. We all pay the same price. 
And there's no guarantee when we come into the kingdom that uh, you're going to get you're going to get an apostle's gift, and you're gonna, I'm going to bestow upon you the prophetic gifts, and I'm going to there's going to be manifestation gifts running. Uh, you over here, I don't know. You might you might get a little manifestation. No, he none of that's determined. He does as he pleases, whatever he sees fit as we grow. But coming into the kingdom, we're all on the same playing field. And, and the guy who confesses Jesus on his deathbed is going to enjoy heaven just as much as you and I who have served him all through, and we went through all the trials. We went through all the flame of the heat of the day. We can't get upset about that. I think there's another scripture. This is the prodigal son, and this is the brother. This is the older brother. Remember, we're talking about the religious spirit. He'll get you easily offended. This is a red flag. If you're easily offended, you've probably got a religious spirit. The older brother, this is after he's come. The younger brother took all the inheritance. Y'all know the story. I just want to set it up. And he took all the inheritance, was eating pig slop, finally came to himself and said, man, I'm going back to dad's house. Even his servants eat better than this. Dad saw him coming home, ran out, gave him the royal treatment, right? And now when the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out, oh man, and pleaded with him. See, there's a father pleading with the person infected with the religious spirit. He's coming out, greet you, and he's, he's going to talk to you. Are you going to perceive it? Are you going to recognize it? Probably not if you're all puffed up and proud and mad and offended. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I make, make marry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots... You killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to the son, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Wow. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was not lost and was lost, but now is found. Hallelujah. See what offense does? You get offended. He doesn't even recognize. For one, the son did not deplete all the father's livelihood. You cannot deplete God's livelihood. It's impossible. Number two, he said, son, you're always with me, and everything I got belongs to you too. It's an inexhaustible supply of blessing. And if you weren't so offended and proud and religious, you could enjoy it. And that, that's another thing. He's working the fields, sweating all the time, trying to make sure he does everything right, and he doesn't even enjoy all the blessing that's there. It just stayed untouched. Might as well have been inaccessible un, un, to him. But it's not the father's fault, is it? So the religious spirit's easily offended. Now, number six, the religious spirit is self-deluded because he does not obey or do the word of God. Again, this, this, we're coming back to obedience here. How important this obedience thing is. This is where we started out our first few lessons talking about the importance of obeying everything, and, and not just so much this. Of course, we obey every word in here. But I, I mean, Pam and I are learning, obey quickly what we hear the Spirit speaking to the heart. You know, 
of course it says you need to forgive others in here, and I need to obey that, but I may be walking in some deception, and I need to be in a place where I can hear Holy Spirit say, I want you to go over there and say, I'm sorry. Or he may use your wife. <laughs> you tell you, you need to call him up. See? And, and so we need to be quick to obey because we can slide right out of the blessing if we don't move quickly. And we'll slide. What happens when we don't obey and we do that? We become self-deluded. Then all these other things will start creeping in if we don't repent. Without repentance, the only choices are I'll become hypocrisy a hypocrite, because I'll be self-righteous. Instead of repenting sin, I'll start justifying sin. I'm okay. I'm good. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, right? Or the other scripture I'm thinking of is uh, when you see your brother sinning, let him who is righteous restore such a one in the spirit of humility lest he himself stumbles into the same sin. Okay, let's look at our scripture here from number six. Qualities needed in trials. I love that title. <laughs> well, one of the qualities you need is to be a doer of the word, right? He says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger or wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Took me years to find that one out. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. See, here's disobedience, laying my life down for the right reasons. I'm repenting, living a repentant lifestyle. Lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to convert or save my soul, my thinking. It's able to get me to think like a new creature, the renewing of my mind. But, see, if I want to do that, if I want the implanted word to change me, i got to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, deceiving myself. These religious spirits, they want to preach at you all day, and they don't demand obedience. They just want you to hear their preaching all day. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man that he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, or the word we could say, and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. <laughs> He's going to be the one walking in the blessed life. Hallelujah. I think there's one more, verse 26. Oh, yes, the next one. The, uh, I didn't give that until you. If you can go to verse 26, this is the answer. Perfect. Well, I wrote this one in. Uh, go, go back to where you were, 26. Yeah. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Remember, we've been talking about how important it is in these trying times. Remember, we talked about uh, God lets us pronounce our own judgment with our own lips. Jesus said, by thy words thou shalt be condemned, or by thy words... Thou shalt be justified. And we went through the example of the spies. Remember all the ten giving the evil report of everything they saw. And didn't matter what God promised. What came out of their mouths? Did you just bring us out here to die, God? Is that why you brought us out here? And then what did he say? As you've spoken in my hearing, so shall it be. So that's what happens when we become, we just hear it. And, you know, there's a lot of people doing that. A lot of people go to church every time the doors are open. And they've heard so much word, they could quote you scripture. But they don't do it. They don't take it. And I love it because he says, he who's not a forgetful hearer. You know, that to me that talks about, you don't forget about something that's vitally important. That's why do they forget? Because it's not that really important. It's a religious 
movement they're going through. It's, it's not the real deal. But, you know, I don't know about you. Church and prayer and all this, this is me and Pam's life. Work and, and all that other stuff is secondary. That's just stuff that God, God says if you seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, all that other stuff I'm going to give to you. This is our life right here. This, this is it. This is it. And, I, you know, I'm not going to be forgetting that stuff. I might forget to empty a trash can at work, but I'm not going to forget teaching and preaching this word, forget the gifts that he's given to me, to, to my wife, to my family, take for granted his blessing. So that last scripture was number seven scripture I wrote in, James 1.26. A religious spirit condemns himself with his own tongue. Religious spirit condemns himself with his own tongue. And that's a principle, like I said, we've been, we've been going through that through our previous lessons, talking about the importance. Remember Job, it said, through everything that Job went through, yet did he not sin with his tongue. His wife even said, oh, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> but Job wouldn't do it. He wouldn't have it. James 1, 26, number 7, the religious spirit condemns himself with his own tongue. Oh, number 6 is the religious spirit is self-deluded because he does not obey the word of God. He's a forgetful hearer. Yes. So we start, we're starting to see now, by looking at these hindrances, we're starting to see the things that we talked about in weeks past how important it is to do those things that do move us into the blessing. Amen? Sometimes we can learn more by flipping the record over to the other side and looking at the negative aspects to help us really get a hold of the positive things that we need to do in order to walk in the blessing. Amen? And then finally, number eight, a religious person will eventually... Give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It's inevitable. A religious person will eventually give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Do you see what happens, what begins to happen if we don't? This is another thing we're talking about is living a repentant life, being very in tune with what God's trying to say because... That's, if this stuff goes on, the devil starts whispering stuff in your ear. And if you're a religious person, it sounds good and right. But it's a, it's a deceiving spirit. Let's look at these uh, passages, last few verses in 1 Timothy. This is talking about the great apostasy, which we are now in, at least the beginning stages of it. Man, and these are the beginning stages. I shudder to think what the latter stages are going to look like. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. How? Why? Giving heed to religious or deceiving spirits. See, these are people who love God. They're in the faith, but because of religious spirits or deceiving spirits, they fall away giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies, here's that hypocrisy. See, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own, here's a big one, their conscience is messed up now. All this messing around that they've done, all this getting offended, being hypocritical, all the stuff we've been talking about for the last several weeks, guess what? It hammers up the conscience, the conscience. Once our conscience gets defiled, it's very hard to fix. And the more we sin and sin, unrepentant sin, it hardens the heart or scars the conscience, right? Sears it as with a hot iron. Number three, verse three. For these people, once you get religious, here's what you do. You start telling people, you can't get married if you're going to be a, 
in the ministry. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods, going through legalistic motions, rules and regulations, looking down their noses at people who do practice these things, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So, that's one thing the Jews do. Even to this very day, the Orthodox Jews eat, as under the Old Testament law, kosher law. Now, I'm not judging them by saying that they probably look down their noses, and maybe they do, maybe they don't, but why observe an old kosher law from the Old Testament when the Bible clearly says, if they have received my food with thanksgiving, it's clean. Jesus paid the price. I love the way Titus put it, to the pure, all things are pure. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Yeah, they, they don't want us eating meat. They want to produce some kind of synthetic meat for you to eat. So. that's great. Context is everything, isn't it? And this is talking about the apostasy days which we're in. And we're seeing it. We're seeing this. Manifestation of these doctrines of demons got these people all messed up and they're trying to heap it on you and make you do it and you obey this and you obey this and if you don't, you're nothing. You're canceled. You're... No, that's not the way God... Yes. 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 With that, they're going to have like many million dollars that's going to go to areas where the population of people are putting in danger wildlife or nature. So basically, it's money pouring into the area to push abortion and it's and population control. This is very evil stuff. It is this omnibus bill, and there's a big land grab in there. Uh, they're trying to grab up farmland and all this other stuff. Uh, the billions and billions of dollars more going to other countries guard their borders while ours is wide open. I mean, we do need to be in prayer about this. Uh, we've been spending our Wednesdays here praying specifically for all of you people. That's what we do, but. Uh, I want to I want to challenge you all in this room and listening by podcast to please pray for America, and pray against these uh, horrible bills that are they're trying to pass that are, are just going to wreak havoc on the church and on the free people and the freedom of our kids and our grandkids. So um, thank you, baby, for bringing that out. And that was good. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. Yeah. Amen. Yes. That's just like God, isn't it? Let's just pray. Father God, you've heard our hearts tonight. We pray uh, about this omnibus bill that's being presented. Lord, it's straight from the pits of hell. We just ask you to move upon the senators and the congressmen. I know they're stubborn and rebellious. First, Lord, I just ask you to have mercy on us. Forgive them. Forgive us of our sins. And just have mercy on us, Lord, that men and women in Congress and our leadership all around the nation will start to see clearly that they will come to their senses like the prodigal son did, and that they won't be like the older brother, get all offended and bent out of shape, Father God, please, we just pray for our leadership, that they be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit so they can make right decisions. Uh, Though many of them will reject the gospel or never want to hear it, we just lift them up in prayer, and we just ask you, Lord, find a way to save them. Uh, Father God, Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. I don't really know how to do that, but that's what we're going to do tonight. We just lift them up. We ask you to save them somehow. Only you can do it. Save them that they can see the light and see how wrong this is. Uh, Father God, uh, we pray January 6th that 
you'd move on our Supreme Court judges, the justices, to begin to hear this uh, shenanigans that's gone on, not only in Arizona, that's what they're going to be hearing, but all that it'll spark a case against all the shenanigans, even going back to 2020 at least, Lord, that we can have free and fair elections in this country once again. Lord, we pray for future generations. We've got children. We've got grandbabies. We cover them in the blood of Jesus, and we refuse to bow down to fear. We refuse to give an evil report. We believe you're a good, all-powerful God, and that you're going to move on behalf of your church that's crying out night and day for justice to be done. We believe you will speedily avenge, Lord. And we just give you all praise as you do these things for your glory as you see fit, that all these events can fit perfectly in to the end times you have before ordained. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Be salt, be light.